Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We are um, engaging in church and state. We're we're combining those two things that every gentleman should avoid talking about, right? Politics and religion. <laughs> and so when they're combined together, it's guaranteed for explosive fireworks. Um, on the show today, we have uh, Matt Marino. How you doing, brother? Very good. You're filling in. You're filling in for two people today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pastor Us and Pastor Phil. Uh, that's that's a lot of weight to carry. That's why I ate that donut. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jonathan, of course, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fine. You look really good. Well, I'm. It's like uh, you never I, even had cancer. Well, thank you. It I was feel a conspiracy. It, once in a while. it wasn't it was, even uh, a real yeah. thing. It was just my way of taking a sabbatical. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I needed time off. That's right. <laughs> well, we have been talking about. Um, Church and state, and I, I don't, I can't imagine a more relevant thing to talk about today um, than the intersection of these two God-appointed institutions. Uh, we watch on the news on a regular basis about these orders and mandates coming down from the the state, and and the church is left with, you know, how do we answer these questions? I mean, let, let's just bring it to to the news stories that happened over the weekend california issued an order that churches cannot sing in their congregations and so so you have to deal with the church in the state at this at this point don't you i mean if you're a pastor in california i mean it's it's right in your face whether you want it or not most definitely and i, I you know cs lewis said something a long time ago um talked about tyranny and he said uh, a tyranny exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It may be better to live under a robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They be, may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states with which we may not regard as disease is to put on a level of those who have yet not reached the age of reason or those who never will, to be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. Uh, you know, he's just saying, you know, they treat us like infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals, and they, and they, and they won't stop. Yeah. Yeah, we're helping you for your good. For we're, your good, we're, we're oppressing you for your good. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's just quickly review from yesterday. What is the church? What is the state? Well, the church is that assembly of of Christ uh, that is confessing His name in the world, spreading His gospel, extending the kingdom through the gospel, not by force. Very, very, very different idea than Islam. Uh, we talked about some ways in which that's the case. The church has. A symbol of its authority and power, which is the keys, whereas the state has 
the symbol and authority of its power, namely the sword, and that sword is given to defend the image of God. And that's very instructive as well, that language from Genesis 9, 5, and 6, for properly interpreting Romans 13, 1 through 7, so that the the imagery of the sword is a metaphor, not simply for the man and the amount of power he happens to be wielding in a physical sense, but it's a symbol of authority and rightful power because it's it actually has a design to do good, and that is to defend the image of God. And as Christians, we are obligated to respect and obey both within their respected, uh, duly appointed mm-hmm. powers. Yeah, that's another thing, and I mentioned this last night when I was teaching on the Fifth Commandment. In all the New Testament commands to submit to various authorities, you'll notice there's always a clause. It's not an escape clause. It's not a loophole. But it is a reflection of respecting what Christ said in Matthew 22, 17 through 21 mm-hmm. about that coin. And when he said Christ versus Caesar, he wasn't talking about two different coins miles away from each other, like that kind of a, you know, Euler diagram. But he was talking about Caesar inside of Christ, you know, whose image is on that coin. It's, it's God's image. Ultimately, Caesar is in God's image. And so we would say all authority belongs to Christ. Some of that same authority has been delegated down to Caesar. So the state mm-hmm. is not a fundamentally different metaphysical universe, an ethical universe than the church. Right. It's within it. And so getting back to those commands, whether it's uh, workers to their bosses, children to fathers, wives to husbands, church members to elders, or citizens to the state, there's always this in the Lord, for the Lord's sake, and um, as unto the Lord. There's always that clause. And that's not a loophole, but what it does say is that Christ is the only one for whom uh, our obedience is unqualified. All the other ones have that qualification. And Mm -hmm. we see this perfectly played out in scripture, Peter, Mm -hmm. who talks about the state in 1 Peter 2, when he says, obey the emperor, obey the king, or those governors that he appointed. He is the same Peter who then disobeys uh, the governing authorities. I think think it's in Acts chapter 4, where they tell him and one of the other disciples to stop preaching uh, and they respond, you judge whether it's right, whether we obey God or whether we obey man. They were directly disobeying those mm-hmm. authorities. And Peter wasn't contra- Peter wasn't contradicting himself. He was recognizing, no, there's a, a, an authority that has been delegated to, and you are overstepping that bounds. Right. The, you know, the Westminster Confession uh, of Faith, actually, and it would be good if Phil was here because this is his background, but... Um, you know, the Westminster Confession of Faith deals with this, the civil magistrate uh, in its chapter 23, and it reminds us that God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, has ordained civil authorities to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good. For this purpose, he's armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of those who are good and for the punishment of those who are evil. And, and that first phrase is the most important there. It announces that God owns the world, the earth and is his, and as well as the universe, and, and that he's the supreme Lord and King. And so, as Matt was saying, you know, he's created us in God's image. Uh, even those that are in government bear that image, uh, and ultimately we're submitting to the Lord when we submit to um, matters of state. That's right. So there's two I, – I, I gave a loaded question um, on the program yesterday. I said, okay, fine. We have these two appointed institutions of God, the state and the church. And I asked the question, which one has the supremacy? 
And you guys chuckled and smiled and, and we, we talked through that. But there has been two main errors throughout church history. Uh, one's called the Erastian errors by a guy named Erastus in, in the 16th century, where he essentially said that, that the church has its powers given to it by the state and the state has supremacy over the church. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's the, the Roman Catholic era, especially in the, in the in the Middle Ages and seen in the Reformation, where no, 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 the, the, the church has supremacy over the state. And wherever you see those errors in world history, you see carnage on both sides, mm-hmm. right? So talk us, talk us through that. Why are those errors wrong? And then how do we come to a right balance between these two institutions? Well, on a sociological level, the reason there's carnage is because the machine breaks down. They're not operating according to design. To use Abraham Kuyper's language, that principle of sphere sovereignty, that these different spheres have been created by God, um, not to be autonomous from each other where they don't relate to each other, but to live in sort of a, a symbiotic relationship, which at least implies that they are themselves and they're not something else. And if you try to have uh, the state do what the home is meant to do or the home to do what the church is meant to do and all these different things things are going to break down because you're not operating according to God's design. So how do they relate to each other if they are distinct but not divorced from each other? And there's errors in our day too, which we can get to in a little bit as far as the distinction versus divorce. But um, they do so by a certain hierarchy of law, which can be argued for in Scripture, which the Reformed tradition talks about in certain ways. But the wider Christian tradition, both in the Middle Ages and in the Reformed tradition— and I point to Thomas Aquinas in particular, and if you want a reform guy, uh, Franciscus Junius and his book, The Mosaic Polity, is a good place to look for this. But there is a hierarchy of law. So just imagine this. I could do this for Facebook. I don't have a whiteboard in front of me. But just imagine at the top of the whiteboard, you've got eternal law. Chalkboard, come on. Chalkboard. Yeah, my bad. Because <laughs> I hear squeaks right now. I want to hear those hard, masculine, you know, chalkboard uh, things from, from R.C. Sproul. Okay, so let's go with chalkboard. So at the top, you have eternal law which is God's justice in himself, what Plato would have called the form, the essence of justice. Down in the world now, in this whole sphere in the world, you have natural law. Okay, so we'll put that to the left. And that's just the nature of things. Contrary to popular belief, natural law doesn't mean what the pagans happen to do or what the law of the jungle. That's not what natural law means. That's, that's reason apprehending the, the way of the moral objects of the universe. Yeah. Everything has a nature, mm-hmm. and the use of that thing is determined by its nature. Yeah, right, exactly. And then within that sphere of nature, there's a book. And inside that book, we're going to have the divine law. And the divine law in, in the mosaic polity, the moral law within that is really just the inscripturated version of the natural law. It was there from the beginning, Romans 2, 14 and 15, that God has inscribed this on the heart of even the Gentiles. Uh, so why we call it the moral law and why does it go on? People ask that question all the time, you know, hasn't the law passed away? And, and that's wrong. The moral law goes on because it's image of God shaped, whereas the ceremonial law was priest of God shaped. And so the image of God, the moral law continues, those Ten Commandments, because God made those to speak about himself in the form that human beings have and always have. Yeah, and the moral law, you know, it, it doesn't reflect God's just uh, merely his will, as in he's just arbitrarily deciding to say, oh, you know, this seems like a good commandment yeah. today, thou shalt yeah. not kill. Yeah. They reflect his character. Right. Um, uh, Francis Turretin said it like this, in the moral law, the Ten Commandments, he, God couldn't have commanded the opposite right. of any of those commands. He couldn't have said, you know what? 
I think you should worship other gods or blaspheme my name or violate the Sabbath or commit adultery. Now, those are eternal because they reflect his nature. Whereas with the ceremonial law, we know yeah. that they ultimately pointed to Christ, yeah. but they did reflect his his will in the mm. sense that he just com- – it's not that they didn't yeah. – didn't reflect his right. his nature, yeah. But they are entirely. But they're made beast. to fade away, and so that belongs to not to bring in one more term here, but positive law, yep. Um, as opposed to natural, those things they can change because they're not a reflection of his immutable character uh, in the image, which the natural law would be. Yeah. So the fourth one to finish that off would be the human law down here, and that and that I'm just I always reflect with just X's. You could put scrolls or something like that to, to human legislation. It could be the U.S. Constitution as a whole, or it could be individual pieces of legislation. By the way, everybody believes this. And I mean the Marxist, the positivist, you could be an atheist. Everybody has a law above the law. Now, you might not call yours eternal law and divine law and natural law. You may reject that and laugh at somebody that believes in natural law. However, everybody has a law above the law. Everybody has a reason why this law should be just, why this law mm-hmm. should be passed, even though, and you can't, you know, you can't say, well, we're just going to posit morality and the law. Well, if it's not the law now, why should it be the law? And you can't argue, well, because it is, because it's not. Okay. Mm -hmm. So everybody has a law above the law, a moral reason why that law should be just. And what we're saying is that this is a, a rational framework for that in the Christian tradition. So all that to say, the Christian is not being arbitrary. We're not cherry picking. We're not picking our favorite team when we, we're not just mad at the state or something like that. We have a reason we have a, uh, a form and a hierarchy for why uh, the church versus the state or this law versus that law or this magistrate versus that magistrate. You have that problem that people don't think about when they want to just use Romans 13 as a blank check. There's, yeah. a, there's a hierarchy. And you can see that immediately in Arizona, there was a sheriff there who said, I'm not going to abide by the governor's uh, order. Well, which magistrate do you listen to? Mm-hmm. So. We are going to hang, we're going to leave you with that cliffhanger. So you'll tune in tomorrow or if you subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life. Jonathan still has a prize for you if you become the 10th subscriber. It's something really good. There you go. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) I'm waiting to hear when that 10th subscriber comes on. All right. Well, we'll see you next time.